Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. Zach's not here today. I'm Ben. And I have a tray full of crullers in the dining room that desperately need to be rearranged. What a what a great moment. Anytime I watch a movie, I love when a line of dialogue is, is given or a character, you know, performs some action. And my immediate thought is, well, what does that mean or what's the implication of that thing? Like when our – I think her name is Anna in, in the movie Pilgrim we're going to be discussing. When she says, I have a tray full of crullers in the dining room that desperately need to be rearranged, I immediately thought to myself, well, why? Why would they need to be rearranged? And the character she's speaking to in the movie asks the exact same question at the exact same time. That is very fulfilling to me, Ben. When I ask the movie a question and a character in the movie asks the same question. <laughs> I, can, I can understand that. Uh, and and I, it's a good question because as far as I understand, crawlers are donuts. And <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that anytime I've encountered a tray of donuts, as people remove donuts from them, no nobody goes back and spruces it up. And, <laughs> you, you know, it, it occurred to me that, that that's, that might be the thing that's missing from my life. Uh, crawlers or rearranging crawlers or donuts? <laughs> pe- pe- people sprucing up my donut trays. Oh. <laughs> You know what, Ben? Now that you mention it, um, the the cake, the 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 plates of cake at your wedding, those those could have been rearranged. I don't know about desperately needed rearranging, but they could have been rearranged. <laughs> Definitely, they could have been alphabetized or like arranged by size. I don't know where what you would be alphabetizing since they were mostly the same cake. But I mean, yeah, any like they they could have used some rearranging and and that's just like one of the the many reasons that the coordinator sucked. I was about to make the same joke. I think it's okay to talk about this because this is our, you know, this is bonus episode main feed. Last bonus episode we talked a lot about your wedding, Ben. I was just about to make the joke that if I saw anybody rearranging the cake, it would have been the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, That DJ did do almost everything, so. Yep, he was great. He was great. So that was – I had to go with that line for my opener uh, for this episode because it just took me by such surprise because I had the same thought that you did, Ben. Like, crawlers are not something that I think you need uh, to spruce up even before your party has begun or something like that. She was the last person to get there, which – also, there was, like, some pointed snarky remarks about, so... Yes, yes. Um, was she trying to indicate, like, you you, were, you took so long to get here that these crawlers have <laughs> gone into disarray? <laughs> the crawlers are a mess! <laughs> Thank God you've gotten here, you know? <laughs> we, we will have to talk about that lady as well. I, I don't fully understand the relationship of that lady to the main family, other than the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, but we'll get to it. I had an alternate... I figured I couldn't say this to start off the episode, especially, you know, I know we have the explicit marker on our episodes and we don't, you know, shy away from working blue or anything like that. But I really wanted to say at the start, and God damn it, I fucking love you. How do I prove that? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't use enough for someone my size. (laughs) But the white rose tea was very soothing. God damn it! I fucking love you! How do I prove that? 
because Dermot Mulroney in um, Flesh and Blood, the other movie we're going to be discussing today, is just going ham. He is so over the top. There's a scene where the he comes home and he's like, how was the turkey? I got the pie. Wait, why is the table not set? And the daughter's like, daddy, I found your murder trophies. And he like looks in the oven and goes, damn it, you didn't baste the turkey. Now it's going to be dry. And I'm like, these characters are not in the same moment of, of reality, I think, right now. Like they're clearly focusing on different things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That, that was definitely my reaction to that as well. He, I, but but I can't say it like I loved it. He, this oh, turkey's yes. gonna be dry. Yes, like, yeah, damn it, Kim. Now the turkey's gonna be dry. <laughs> I was saying that to myself for like the next day after watching the Flesh and Blood. Home, <laughs> I... Oh, I found the last pumpkin pie. How to go with the turkey today? Yeah, you set the table. What is this, Dad? They're nothing for you to worry about. Did you steal them? What were you even doing in the attic? I just wanted to see what you've been doing. See what? I've been working on the house. Honestly, Kim, I think you have to stop with these wild assumptions. I can hear you moving around up there at night. Is this what you've been doing? Hiding these? Dad! Allowed to have my own private things, Kim. Well, why would you hide them like that? Damn it, Kim! It's gonna be dry. Dad. See, this is why your mother and I never got you a cat. I think that that's what I'm gonna yell at my wife across the house now. <laughs> Do you remember the moment at the, at the end of Pootie Tang when when the the woman's like, "Damn it, you burnt the lasagna again!" You know, <laughs> totally made me think of that like a moment straight out of a comedy. Damn it, now the turkey's gonna be dry, and she's like, "Daddy, I found your murder trophies." <laughs> very very strange things we're discussing today, but we have to say right off right off the bat because some people are probably recognizing this fact. That this is a main feed bonus episode coming out on none other than Thanksgiving, the actual holiday. So everybody might be confused from seeing the title of this episode and hearing what we've been discussing. Where's where's Turkey? You know, with an I-E, not an E-Y. Uh, Turkey the character, the killer uh, turkey that comes back, back on Thanksgiving to murder teenagers. Where is our thanks-killing material? Well, I'm very sad to say that well there will be no thanks killing material this year um i talked about it or we talked about it last year ben when we did thanks killing the musical there was some notion in there that we were going to try and maybe like you know pay somebody to get the musical script and we'd all come together and do like a table read of it um i i'm not against that idea because you know we have the money Thanks to Patreon, which we'll talk more about in this episode. But what we don't have is enough people. Like, what I was thinking, it's like, yeah, we got, you know, Ben, Zach, and I. We could do three characters, that type of thing. But there's a lot more in Thanks Killing the Musical. We got the narrator, too, who does the, um, the, the cliche horror or horror cliche drinking game. So an effective table read would have been a nightmare to schedule. Like, I would have had to find time that Ben and Zach were around. I'd have to go to, like, LaShawn and Heather and Justin, like, just to fill out the cast. It would have been a fucking nightmare. So that is not happening yet. We aren't doing any, any singing live, you know? We don't expect the live musical episode anytime soon. The next thing I thought was, well, maybe we do a rewatch. Maybe I say, Ben, you've only seen or listened to, I guess, Thanks Killing the Musical. Like, I was thinking maybe we go back and rewatch Thanks Killing or Thanks Killing 3. 
um, because there's no Thanks Killing 2. It's a major plot point of Thanks Killing 3, though. One of my favorite things, facts to know ever. Uh, we could have got LaShawn. He was there for the original one. I had all these ideas, but I was like, eh, why rehash it, that type of thing. The third idea, the big thing I was thinking was, oh, let me reach out to either Jordan Downey, the director of uh, both Thanks Killing movies, or reach out to a writer, uh, somebody involved with it, maybe see if we can get them on and say, hey, we love Thanks Killing. We want to talk to you about it. I would really have loved to talk to Jordan Downey, the director. He's also the one who has the, uh, the easiest way to be contacted. I reached out to him twice, uh, once a month ago, uh, sorry, months ago, and one more time about a month ago. We never heard back from him. So that's just kind of a bummer that, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll keep reaching out to him. We can talk to the creator of Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving, but that didn't come together for this year. So what did Ben and I decide to do? Well, if we have a traditional bonus episode, just like we do with Ben Affleck's birthday, Ben and I said, well, why the hell don't we just use it to promote the Cinemodities Patreon? And that's exactly what we're doing today. If you've never checked out the Cinemodities Patreon, uh, even just like click through it and see what we've released on there and things like that, we talk a lot about Blumhouse. We've done all eight of the Amazon Prime's Welcome to the Blumhouse series. Uh, one episode of that, so two of those movies hasn't been released yet, but depending on if our schedule changes, will come out at the end of this month. So Ben and I said, well, let's find some more Blumhouse movies. Since they're Blumhouse, so they're, you know, cheap, dumb horror movies, they gotta have some that are related to Thanksgiving, the holiday that we are uh, discussing today. And they do! It turns out that they do. There are two Thanksgiving Blumhouse movies. One is called Pilgrim. One is called Flesh and Blood. They're from 2018 and 2019, respectively. And so that's what we're doing today. Ben and I are gonna give a main feed discussion, just like we do on the Patreon, about two... Blumhouse movies that are goofy, that are wild, that are kind of bad, that are kind of good in some respects as well, and things like that. Does that does that sum it up pretty well, Ben? This this tie-in for the holiday and and it, Blumhouse, I guess. Uh, yeah, it does. It, I I do I do want to say, you know, come check out the Patreon. We we will gladly welcome you into the to the ranks, into the restaurant, and uh, and we're happy to help you get your table and uh, start <laughs> trying to order food from our menu that is almost impossible to read. Yes, perfect. So. Yes. Uh, I will put, as I always do, I'll put the link in the show notes. I'm sure we'll talk about more of what we've discussed on Patreon um, in relation to how these, these Hulu Blumhouse movies compare to the Amazon Prime. I know that's something I was thinking about. Um, but it's not just that. We also talk a lot about Adventure Time on the Patreon. We talk a lot about um, other movies that we like. We talk about fan requests. That's something you can do. You can uh, head on over and check out the different tiers, and you can either just you know join the ride and support us and get extra episodes. You can pay a little bit more to actually influence the ride and get more episodes. I guess that's the best way to say it. But yeah, check it out, and um, I guess we're just saying right off the bat, you know, unashamedly, this is just a big promotion for the Cinemodities Patreon. <laughs> Uh, it is in a lot of ways a big promotion for the Cinemodies Patreon, but I, but these movies were kind of a wild ride, oh, yes. and I and I do think that that uh, you will get plenty of enjoyment from listening to this nonsense and then potentially going and watching these movies later. So. Absolutely, and and I'm I'm with you there, Ben. That these movies are fucking wild. After you know watching them and. Because I had not seen them prior. I just said, Ben, I found two Blumhouse Thanksgiving-related movies. Let's do that. And he was like, okay, you know, sure, that works. I had did not watch them. We just kind of locked these in before I really knew anything about them, other than they were Blumhouse and Thanksgiving-related. 
Never would have watched them otherwise. I hope you're in agreement, Ben. I am so fucking glad I watched these movies. <laughs> like, these movies uh, had me just... I was so into them, uh, both of them, by, like, the last, like, 30 minutes. I'm just like, yeah, this is great. I never would have seen this, and I'm thankful that I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and, and, you know, that kind of fits with the theme, this being mm-hmm. Thanksgiving-related. Yep. Uh, I, I am also grateful, at least that I watched Flesh and Blood. Uh, Pilgrim, I don't know that if I, I can describe my feelings as gratitude. <laughs> um, Pilgrim was, was a hot mess, but Flesh and Blood that bordered on a decent movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm glad you you picked up on it because that's exactly what I was trying to set up. Uh, if you remember, Ben, from last year when we did our Thanks Killing the Musical episode, uh, and if you might remember from listening to Zach and I's two previous Thanksgiving episodes, it's Thanksgiving, we have to talk about what we'll th- what we're thankful for. And of course, we just said, you know, I'm very thankful for seeing these movies. These were a wild ride. Ben seems to agree. Um, Pilgrim, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, the feelings that that gave us, because I'm with you, Ben. It was a little weird. It was like, um, you know, taking anti-nausea medication and then trying to force yourself to throw up. Like, you don't really know what is wrong, but something's wrong, you know? <laughs> um, That's a good way to put it. In Pilgrim, I know exactly what's wrong, and it's the it's the wide-angle lens that takes up 90% of the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I... There are issues with the way that both of these movies are shot, and I'm sure that you'll you'll have noticed more things than I did. Um, okay, yeah, that Pilgrim is almost like you know is actually nausea inducing, um, and we've talked about Envy on the Patreon. Uh, that was very <laughs> nausea nausea inducing with some of the camera work. But other than that, what are we thankful for? I have to say it every year. I do it every single year. Uh, not only just on this podcast, but I do it whenever somebody feels the need to put me in a situation where I actually have to say to other people what I'm thankful for. Um, I'm thankful for the same thing every single year, and that's the ability to speak. Because if we did not have the ability to speak, how would we as humans be able to show how self-righteous we are every Thanksgiving? How would we be able to uh, show off our privilege, much like the, the mother in Pilgrim does? So I'm always thankful for that. Um, other than that, I think I want to say I'm thankful for all our listeners, not just the Patreon subscribers, but all of our listeners. Um, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Uh, I know I enjoy our listeners whenever they reach out to the email or the Reddit. I get to, you know, converse with them. And even if they give us requests and they're like, do this movie, and I'm like, you got to go to the Patreon for that, I'll still usually comment on it or watch it. And I love that stuff. So thank you to our fans. Thank you uh, for the ability to speak. And I guess thank you, Blumhouse. Not just because of these two movies, because I, I guess we should say we are in the Blumhouse, Ben. That's kind of the running thing of the Patreon is that we are stuck in the Blumhouse. So at least I'm thankful to them for giving us, you know, a roof over our heads, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome, a little bit. <laughs> uh, a roof that you're too afraid to leave. Yeah, sure, sure. What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving, Ben? Uh, you know, I'm... I... I just looked over and saw my cat sleep on my floor. So I'm pretty <laughs> thankful for my cat. He's he's pretty great. Uh, he's also a she, but don't tell him that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm thankful for my fa- my newfound family. You know, I'm married now. I have yeah. I have in laws. I'm, I'm thankful for all of them, and uh, and I guess I'm thankful for being employed. There you go. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's it's nice to make money. And, and not have to be too concerned about, about the bills. So, sure. there you go. Sure, I hear you. Okay, right on. Well, we got that out of the way. There's a little bit more to set up before we talk about these movies. Um, because, as I've been mentioning many times, they're in, in the Blumhouse. We're in the Blumhouse. Uh, these movies are from Blumhouse. But they're specifically from uh, a Hulu Blumhouse contract. So, 
all the ones we've done on the Patreon were from Amazon Prime called Welcome to the Blumhouse. And I know Ben found those before I did. He said, hey, we should talk about them. And we did. And you can listen to all those episodes on the Patreon. I know in the first, I think the first episode of when we did um, Nocturne and Evil Eye, if I'm remembering correctly, that's the first pair of Blumhouse movies we did. Um, I mentioned something like, oh, I, I did not know about Welcome to the Blumhouse on Amazon, but I did know about Into the Dark, Blumhouse's series on Hulu. So that's where these two movies are coming from. It's called Into the Dark. Each movie is centered around a specific holiday. Centered might be very loosely, but it is somehow related to a specific holiday. So, of course, we get, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, Halloween, Easter, St. Patrick's Day, the ones that you'd expect. Like, if you said, you know, oh, name some holidays, you'd pick the doors from, you know, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, the Hinterlands, that type of thing. Um, so, you know, like uh, Independence Day, Fourth of July, that type of stuff. But then there's some that are really obscure, like, there's a Mother's Day and a Father's Day ones. So maybe not too obscure, but are still a little like, oh, I guess, you know, they might be reaching the bottom of the barrel on some holidays. Uh, but then it gets even even weirder. There's one for International Women's Day. There's one for Daughter's Day. There's one for First Day of School. There's one for Pet Appreciation Week. Just a whole week, apparently. And then one for Spring Full Moon. Ben, there are 24 of these in total. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, so there's a lot. And some of them, like, there's, like, the two we're discussing are the only two Thanksgiving ones. I think there's, like, a handful of Christmas ones, Halloween. You know, there's one on Mother's Day, one on Pet Appreciation Week, which I thought was wild. Um, I have not seen any of the other 22. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to, like, discuss them. But, man, I might be tempted to just throw one of them on randomly to get a sense of what they're like after watching these two. I don't know, Ben, have you... Have you heard anything about this Into the Dark or any of these movies prior to, you know, just me telling you about the Hulu side of it? Because like I said, you were the Amazon. You knew about the Amazon releases. No, I, I hadn't heard about these. And I was advertised or like actually started auto-playing uh, another one after Pilgrim. Oh, okay. I think it was called Crawlers, which I guess is a St. Patrick's Day themed. Okay, okay. And I, uh, based on like the first couple seconds, I was totally like, I'm going to watch this later. <laughs> right on, right on. The other great thing about all these movies, uh, from just like scrolling through some information about them, about the ones I, we have not watched, they're all really short. Like Pilgrim is 80 minutes long. Uh, Flesh and Blood is 90. I think all of them exist in like the 75 to 100 minute range. So yeah, I could totally see myself just being like, okay, you know, I got you know time to kill. I'll throw on an 80 minute you know Blumhouse movie, and if it's anywhere near as wild as these two, I'm gonna I'm gonna be totally on board for it. <laughs> The one about, Definitely. like, spring full moon and first day of school, I'm really interested to see. It's like, well, what the hell does that have to do with anything? I'm sure they just kind of took a script and were like, ah, I don't know, just put put this holiday in there, I guess. Because that's what Flesh and Blood was. Like, Flesh and Blood, take out Thanksgiving, that could be Christmas. That could be Mother's Day. That could be any day. It could just be like, oh, this is the day the mother disappeared or something. So we're trying to have a good dinner, you know? It's so irrelevant. Thanksgiving is so irrelevant to the plot of Flesh and Blood. <laughs> but if it wasn't Thanksgiving, they wouldn't display Black Friday on the screen. Uh, well, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> it's like the bear... Isn't there something when the therapist at the end, when she shows up, she's like, oh, it's crazy, like, Black Friday traffic and all that stuff, and it's just like, yeah, I get what you're going for, and yeah, Ben's right, they do have a little title card on the screen that says Black Friday. But there's there's this whole kind of notion of just, like, 
make that Christmas. They're still going to have a turkey, and the therapist is going to be late because, you know, Christmas traffic or the day after the holidays traffic or whatever type of thing. Like, like it is, right. it is very much just jammed in there because I think they needed to meet a quota, I guess. They needed a Thanksgiving thing. Uh, yeah, do you, do you know why these are all around holidays? I could not find any actual information saying it's like, oh, that's what they – there was a, a reason why they wanted that gimmick. Couldn't find anything like that. It seemed to just be, you know – Oh, we do Halloween stuff, or horror stuff usually is Blumhouse. Let's just take horror and put it into different settings rather than Halloween. Which is a fine idea. I mean, that's happened throughout years. You know, there's Christmas slashers. There's, um, you know, Halloween slashers, of course. Uh, Blood Rage is a very famous actual horror movie. Like, not tongue-in-cheek, played very seriously. That takes place around Thanksgiving. The, what, the Leprechaun movies, I guess, are technically St. Patrick's Day, but those are very goofy movies. But, yeah, I couldn't find anything specifically why they wanted to do something like this. But, like... They were able to jam enough out, you know. I mean, like I said, 24 of these movies on Hulu. That's a lot. Amazon only has eight so far. <laughs> Indeed. So I, I guess then with that out of the way, um, how do you want to break this down, Ben? I think I feel like we have to do one movie at a time. There's no real comparison between these two. If you think otherwise, let me know. But what do you think? Do you want to do Pilgrim or Flesh and Blood first? Let's let's start with Pilgrim. That's what I okay. watched first. And let's... Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> okay, okay. So this is um, the 14th in the um, the overall series of the Into the Dark series. So this is kind of in their second season, if because it's arranged that way online into seasons for some way. Okay. Uh, it's called Pilgrim. This is the one I found. Like when I Googled, you know, like Thanksgiving horror movies, this one came up pretty quickly. And you read the synopsis and it's like uh, a family invites – pilgrim and thanksgiving reenactors into their home to support the holiday or bring the holiday back to its roots you know it's very very much just like you know this this stepmother anna is like oh yeah you know let's just have reenactors come over and they're gonna make thanksgiving so much better we're gonna get back to our roots and understand what it means like live like the pilgrims and that type of stuff Mm. Uh, and of course that goes horribly wrong um i i kind of have to say i like this movie because it's this is kind of faint praise but i think it's appropriate this is a home invasion movie, but I like the little twist that they have invited the home invaders in themselves. Like, they don't know that these are bad people at the start, you know, and then they eventually become, you know, horrifying. They are home invaders, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, we even get, like, a, a sense of that when they when she first invites them in, the camera, like, zooms in on their feet, crossing the threshold. Yes. And it's, yes. like, all in unison, and there's, like, some bad music going on to it, you know, it's, like, scary. <laughs> Yeah, so so definitely home invasion. Uh, a a little bit of a vampire feeling with that whole like come on in thing. And, That's exactly that what being... I was about to say. That I thought the twist was going to be their vampires, which yeah, which to be fair, so... it kinda is at the end. More cannibals than vampires, but almost the same. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. They they wanted a feast and they got it. So yes, I, I probably should have said. Well, I mean, this is eighty minute. This is a. These are Blumhouse straight to streaming. They are inherently dumb to me in some way. I probably should have said spoiler, though, but who cares? The the end of Pilgrim, when the reveal that the father's decapitated head is being served to the family, I could not have been more excited that that's where the movie was going, because I did not see that coming in the fucking slightest. And then they're, like, force-feeding the father's flesh to the stepmother and the daughter, and I'm like... 
Okay, movie, you hooked me. I'm so on board. It gets so violent and grotesque at the end in Pilgrim. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, and I mean, well, we get some we get some really fantastic blood spewing effects. Oh yes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we we get we get like a very obvious pipe through the sleeve yes, blood yes. spurt. <laughs> I love that because we see it like two or three times. It'll snap to a, a character projectile vomiting blood and their hand will be in front of their mouth like they're whispering a secret to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And like some of the music that they played during that, it was uh, – I don't know about your perspective, but it was hard for me to take that seriously. It was oh, just yeah. like – Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the the music is all over the place. In the in the scene where they're force-feeding them the father's flesh, it's like set to gospel choir music. And it's it's so weird. But man, this movie turns up at the end. Like you have, you know, so much gore. And then I feel like I fell in love with the last 30 minutes of Pilgrim because it it knows that it's being really gory and it just kind of like goes into it and leans into it. There is a shot of Patience, the female Pilgrim, churning blood butter. Is that what you got from that? She's like, sure, she's doing the butter churn, but it's filled with blood. Do you remember what I'm talking about, Ben? Yes. Uh, and I, so at first I was like, oh, she has stuffed some part of the mother's body into this thing and it's just like churning it up. I don't know, yeah. churning it up. <laughs> but then the kid finds the mother's body and it's intact. So I was like, I don't, I, don't, I guess I don't really know what was in there. No, I, I think it's just, I just, my literal note is, is the female pilgrim churning blood butter? Let's get some blood butter going. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I I guess that's what we were going for. But yeah, she was definitely just churning away, and there was blood coming out of it. So I think we're just supposed to assume, like, but I, it's not even clear where she got the blood. It's not as if the mom was like bleeding a ton. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Just... So I, I was just like, I don't really understand what I'm seeing, other than it, that it's supposed to be blood churning. Exactly, and I'm totally with you there. That I'm confused by it. I don't really know in the in the narrative sense why I'm seeing this, but this is the kind of the thing. That I expected more from the the welcome to the Blumhouse that we can you can hear us talk about you know on our Patreon. This is what I want from Blumhouse. I want them to go so hard into like the campiness. Be like, okay, gore's happening. What's a neat gore shot? Well, churn blood butter. And it's like, does it matter? No. But who the fuck's ever seen that before? So put it in a movie. Right. You know. <laughs> right. I loved that. The whole movie. Um, it's a little later, but the whole movie like goes off the rails when they. The, the cinematographer puts on an even, you know, more fish-eyed wide-angle lens and it just, the movie cranks to a hundred out of nowhere, like takes a sharp left turn because it's something where, like, what, Cody goes to find uh, the boyfriend or something like that and when she, while she's gone, the pilgrims have, <laughs> like, stockaded the parents and are whipping them and branding them and stuff like this and I'm like, oh my god, this came out of nowhere and I'm, it gets so insane so fast. And then the, then everybody's murdering each other. Uh, Patience gets stabbed through her hand into her temple. There's a, there's a yeah. great moment when the family, like, brutally murders one of the pilgrims, and there's a pause, and the father goes, did we just murder as a, as family? a family? And I'm like, this is wild. <laughs> <laughs> did we just murder as a family? We've got to hide the body before they see us. Yeah, so def definitely uh, when patients get stabbed, she's just like, I'm fine. And I was like, no, you're fucking not. You just got stabbed in the brain. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wrong. She was fine. 
Yeah, yeah, she is fine. Um, God, there's so many. In that last 30 minutes, I'm just looking at my notes, there's so many brutal, brutal moments. Like, the the family's trying to get back into the house. Um, the When the father's, like, going through the, the window, the what, the, the Ethan, the main pilgrim, like, stabs him through his hand to stick his hand to the window, and then they yeah. push him out the window. So And you see, like, we get a quick shot of it, but we get the shot of, like, his hand ripping through the knife as he gets pushed away. Yep. Like, there's this whole medieval seesaw torture device that's dunking our main girl, Cody, underwater near the end to, like, get her to to repent or, you know, come over to their cult or anything uh, like that. To express gratitude, actually, is, Ex- what, they, yeah, is oh, what they say. Exactly, exactly. To um to sh- be grateful for what you have, that type of thing, even though they're taking, like, everything away from her. Even when it's not, like, gory, when they're just talking about gore, the camera work actually works so damn well. Like, there's a scene when... I think, like, Ethan, when they're, like, making the dinner or something and mashing up the berries when they're back in the house, I think this is when the father's gone. They don't know where the father is. Um, Ethan is ready to, like, cut Anna's throat, and he says, like, bring me a bowl to catch the blood, you know? Yeah. And when when he says that, it cuts to patience, and she's smiling. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually horrifying. <laughs> like, imagine someone going, bring me a bowl to catch the blood of this neck I'm going to slit. And you're in the background. You're like, yeah, yeah, this is turning me on. It's like it is it is really, really upsetting to me. <laughs> I mean, as it should be. And it it they definitely kind of I, I think that's like the moment in the movie or, or maybe it is around then where the movie actually starts to get some amount of scary or scary maybe isn't exactly the right word but it like they push it to the point that it's like all right these people existing alone is enough to unnerve anyone yes it's very unnerving very upsetting um i think they're definitely pulling on with the what i mentioned earlier the um the home invasion aspect you know they're they're pulling on this it's like well why are you doing to us it's not as you know like the strangers where it's like just because it's more like you know we're doing it for our weird reasons and our weird reasons are that you need to be grateful <laughs> it's very scary because you could totally see somebody being like this is what matters type of thing and it matters so much to me that i'm gonna like go this far to hurt people and things like that right well and it's it's not so we get some some kind of indication that ethan the one of the main pilgrims maybe the main pilgrim has lost something in his life and he's going around helping people be grateful yes Yes. and so that's definitely what we're seeing is yeah and he's like you need to be grateful and i'm going to show you that by killing everybody you love yes that way you can understand that you were taking it for granted and uh which i'm i'm totally fine with i mean if you said hey let's come up with a thanksgiving horror movie I would say, well, oh, everybody's home on Thanksgiving, so do home invasion, and then throw in a Thanksgiving twist. I'm totally on board with this. But what really makes it work for me is that Ethan and the rest of the pilgrims, there is a moment that shows that they are not just, like, adamant that everybody needs to lose something to gain something else. Because there's the whole thing, of course, the end of the movie, they're like, we're going to kill the father, we're going to try and kill you, we're going to try and dunk you, or, or, you know force you into believing or being grateful that type of thing but there is the moment near the middle of the movie where he uh talks to tate the little brother 
and he's like tries to teach Tate the lesson about being grateful and when it succeeds or when Tate like seems to have gotten the message or anything like that Ethan like looks up to the sky and is uh, talking to what I assume to be God his God and he's like see I didn't have to take everything away from this one to teach him to appreciate what he has and I'm like oh that's actually kind of cool that they they're kind of buying into their own madness they're not just mad in the sense of like oh we need to murder people to get them to be grateful they're mad in the sense of, like, they believe that there's all these rules. They're religious fanatics, I guess is the best way to say it, which might be the most dangerous because they know what they have to do, but they have rules to follow that, you know, make it strange and odd to us. Culty, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, def- definitely cult vibes. And that whole thing's like, so Ethan tells the boy a story about a crow who found some meat, and then he he abandons that meat to go try to get a better hunk of meat, a mm-hmm. mouse, I think. And then loses it. So he's like, he lost everything because he wanted more than he had. And and he's like telling the kid, he's like, so, and the kid's like, does that mean I don't get more candy? And he's like, well, if it did, what would that mean? He's like, well, at least I had one piece. And, and Ethan's like, yes! <laughs> yeah. My, my, yeah, yeah. And, and Tate is like, a little unnerved, of course, because he's just like, "Who are you talking to? <laughs> like, what, why, why are you looking up into this tree?" I, I think it's, I think that's a great scene. I think that gives so much characterization to our villain. Um, well, not so much. It's one scene, but it's more than I expected from this type of movie. Sure, and th- we definitely get the vibe. Like, what he's going for is to make people stop taking their lives for granted. Yes, and how he does it, like he doesn't have to kill everybody. Like he kills. Cody's dad because he wants Cody to be thankful uh, I guess the dad doesn't get a chance to be thankful I'm not really sure I, I was questioning that as well and I think uh, the way I rationalized it which uh, another great feature of every time Ben and I discuss Blumhouse movies there's some level of rationalizing uh, the, the weaker parts of the script I guess we should say um, oh, yeah. I took it as that the father maybe had his chance off screen but he we, we, it is implied that he lost it because we get that whole thing with him and the other pilgrims in the office and he's like, they're going to build my garage. Like, we're going to get a garage. Like, I thought that scene of him being like, they're going to help me get a garage. Like, that was him saying, I'm not happy with the house I have. I need someone else to, like, put the work in to make it better type of thing. Okay. That's, that's my only rationalization for why he didn't get a chance because really then he disappears and then he's a head on a table at the end of the movie. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, I, I could see that. Um, it, like you said, it's rationalizing. And maybe it's a little uh, a weaker part of the script, but I, I'm with you. That could make sense that they gave him his chance and he blew it, and we're just not focusing on that because we're more focusing on Cody. Yeah, um, yeah, Cody is definitely the the big focus. Um, and before we get onto Cody, before we get off Tate, the little brother Tate. I have, speaking of the father and Tate. There's a little moment at the end of the movie when I think, you know, they've they've beaten all the pilgrims or whatever, or nearly beaten them, um, and, like, Cody and Anna want Tate to, like, come and free them from being tied up at the table. But, of course, yeah. on the table there's, you know, the cooked flesh of the father and, and the father's decapitated head and stuff like that. And when Tate, like, comes in, I think Anna and, and Cody are like, don't look, like, keep your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. And there's a small moment, I... I I will have to put the clip in. It's so tiny, but I'm pretty sure the kid says something like, is that daddy? <laughs> and I'm like, this is so fucking macabre. Okay. 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 Okay.
They actually say something to him where they're just like, they're trying to like tell him it's okay or that his dad's just playing or something. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they, but there's a moment where they're like trying to comfort him just to get him to to be able to to free them because that's what they need at the moment. Yep, yep. And then I think there's um I think this is happening. I'm trying to remember the order, of course, but I think this is after a lot of blood has been vomited but oh of, yeah of course um ethan and patience they're like ethan realizes the whole poison berry thing that uh cody used and was set up earlier in the movie he screams to patience who says like oh, he says something great he's like patience evacuate yourself and she starts like shoving her fingers in her throat <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, fucking, I'm, I'm so on board with this movie, you know? <laughs> Evacuate yourself, that's great. But then I think there's the scene when they come back and they attack. I'm trying to remember exactly when it happens. The, the, the moment I'm trying to get at is one of our characters picks up the decapitated head of the father and hits patience with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I am so on board with that. <laughs> and and patience is not thrilled with that exchange. Um, and she, like, grabs a knife and is trying, is trying to go to town. But, yes, that that, that is uh, Anna, the, the stepmom. Uh, she gets, like, thrown back onto the table by patience, and she grabs his head yes. and fucking whacks it with it. Oh, that yeah. is so good. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty beautiful, I, I must say. Uh, very good Blumhouse stuff. But I wanted to bring up, so, like, this thing with the berries. Okay. Like, Ethan takes the boy out to go gather berries. Yes. And they bring back some poisonous ones for some reason. Yes. <laughs> All to have the moment when I think, what, someone goes, like, Tate goes to the berries and Ethan is like, no, like, not the ones with the green stem, you know? It's almost like a yeah. manufacturer. I, I think I get what you're saying, where it's like, well, wouldn't he have told Tate that those berries were poison and not to bring them into the house? But right. it's like the manufactured moment of, oh, maybe Ethan's not that bad that he's watching out for the kid, you know? Almost like a subversion, I took that as. Sure. Well, so so my I guess my question about that was, like, it didn't appear that they ever intended to use those berries against the family. No, so not at all. The, the yeah. only the only explanation I can really come up with for why they would be in the house is like Ethan was like, we, as part of this, we will be poisoning them. Like sure. that that would be a good reason for him to have wanted them. Although still not a very excusable reason from the parents' perspective of like, why did you let my child pick these? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, so that that was definitely a weak point in the plot. And, and at the moment where she's like, they're like, you're going to mush up the berries and you're going to make the cranberry filling or whatever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. I was like, and she's going to add the poison ones. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, what's that called? Like Chekhov's gun or whatever? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, if uh, if something gets set up, you know, pay it off later. That's something that Blumhouse is always good at. They can at least, they might have weak points of their script, but they at least know setup and payoff. And so, like, Pilgrim with the berries, that type of thing. Flesh and blood, definitely, with a lot of the elements of, like, the hole in the attic when she falls through, the, um, yeah. the cufflink or the piece of jewelry on the floor that she steps on later. So Blumhouse is good with basic screenplay writing, you know? <laughs> I'll give them that. Well, I mean, they're good with it in the sense that they use everything they set up. Yes. But they're not so good with it in the sense that you always know 
what's going to come back. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Very, um, very like first year screenwriting type of stuff where, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to put this in here and then I'm going to use it later. And it's like, well, everybody knows that level of storytelling like if, you, if you're so blatant like in like in flesh and blood you know it's like we get so many close-up shots of a piece of jewelry on the floor that was dropped accidentally oh, yeah. and it's like the the question is not is somebody going to step on it in flesh and blood the question becomes which of our two or three characters will step on it you know right <laughs> so right. i'm with you which, like you always see with? it coming yeah well and you know it, it's the only way well, I shouldn't say the only way. There is at least one way to make that worse, which is to have never given us the setup and then give us a flashback of the setup. Oh yeah, uh, after oh, the fact. So, so at least they're not doing that. So Blumhouse, you know, you got that going for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, that so that's clearly set up with the berries. But and she, and she gets the poison on. I love that the poison, like what it apparently makes you do, is just vomit blood. Yes, um, projectile. Like, have you seen um the Hateful Eight, Ben, the Tarantino movie? Where they're no, all in the, they're all in the ca- okay. There's a moment where many characters are projectile vomiting blood, and it is very similar to this, except it's pulled off a lot better with a big budget. You know, being a Tarantino movie, there's none of the sure. um the the clearly the hose through the hand type of stuff. But in both movies, Pilgrim and The Hateful Eight, there is an extended scene of characters projectile vomiting nothing but blood, which sure. is crazy to me. <laughs> Like what? Okay, what would that? What would that have to do? Because clearly they ingested a poison. They actually ingest a poison in the hateful eight as well. Is this like an instant? Oh, you get an ulcer and you're just bleeding into your stomach. Like how are you vomiting nothing but blood? Right? You know what I mean? Absolutely. That quickly as well. um, (laughs) Yeah. If it's if it's gonna put a hole in your stomach. Uh, especially considering stomach acid can essentially eat through metal, and yeah. then our stomachs are so great. I don't fully understand what this poison is doing to them, but I do love that they're essentially holding a garden hose up to their mouth. <laughs> oh yeah, with with you know red colored. I guess it was probably something like juice coming out of it. Juice, yeah. I know common thing is corn syrup in movies, but that would have been a lot of sticky sure. shit to clean up. So they probably wanted something a little more, uh, you know, <laughs> they were able to mop right. away or something I, I, like that. I definitely was getting, like, cranberry juice vibes. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's such a wonderful moment. When they all start vomiting blood with all the other crazy shit that this movie has turned into, I'm just like, this is pretty wild. This is absolutely wild. I mean, I guess we should also talk about our main character. We haven't talked about Cody at all. I know that they're coming from this perspective of that she is the, uh, she doesn't like this new stepmother. She's angry with, um what happened between the father and the original mother and stuff like that. I get what they're going for, but I was reading a lot of reviews online. Apparently, most people were like, she is just a huge bitch for no reason. I don't know. What did you think about Cody? Do you think she was too, like, teen angsty or or not not enough? Or I, I thought she was kind of fine. I got what they were going for, and she, you know, hates the stepmother. Really, that's kind of all there is. I, I in no way thought that she was, like, too much of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought that like when it, I mean, the the main moments where she comes off as kind of bitchy is when she's talking about the pilgrims that have come into the house, and and the guy's like, oh, I'll I'll make you some tea, or I'll I want to kiss your hand, and she's like, don't fucking touch me. Yes. Um, yes. Like that's like the main moments, and it's like I didn't feel like she was being too bitchy. Uh, yeah, I felt yeah, like she felt like something was wrong and was trying to defend herself to the best that she could. Yes, and and I feel um, like it's totally well established where if she's against you know the stepmother. Then, of course, she's going to be against the stepmother just saying, okay, everybody, we're going to have Thanksgiving reenactors this year. That 
Of and course. they're going to stay with us for several days. Yeah, who wouldn't? What teenager wouldn't be upset by that? What adult wouldn't be upset? If I was the, uh, the husband, the father, husband, whatever, I'd be like, no, no, we are not doing this. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. No, no, we're not doing it. No, they're not staying here. Yeah, yeah. Um, just get the fuck out. Tell them to cook that's... a fucking turkey and we'll be good to go. Like, that's what I want, you know? It's like, if, if right. like, my my new wife came to me and was like, hey, I'm going to get some, you know, Thanksgiving reenactors. They're going to come over and, uh, you know, help us with Thanksgiving and bring it back to the roots. I'm going to go, I heard what you said, but do you mean caterers? Because that's the only type of people I want here on Thanksgiving is caterers. <laughs> Definitely. Um, speaking of the bitchiness from Cody, it's not even really bitchy, but you're right. She is rude to the... Um, Thanksgiving reenactors, which she should be. They're the villains. But there's a moment in, like, the first dinner scene where Ethan says to her, he's like, Little Tate here is your half-brother, I presume. And she says, yeah, lost the other half in the accident. (laughs) And I'm like, like, that's a fucking great line right there. (laughs) Yeah, and then I think that her parents give her some toot about that. And she's like, what? Only his jokes are funny? She's, like, telling Mayflower jokes? Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's, doesn't she say something? She was like, you know, oh, this is such a uh, tint, t- titillating story or scintillating story about the Mayflower or something like that. And it's like well, – she, she says something like, I, I can never get enough of Mayflower stories. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I feel like she is the, the embodiment of a regular human being in that scene. <laughs> oh, Anybody absolutely. would feel that way. <laughs> and there, there's a scene later. Uh, it's, it's after shit has hit the fan. And Ethan's just like, are you are you listening? I'm telling you my story about trout fishing on the Mayflower. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, trout are freshwater fish, you idiot. <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's some good moments to, you know, tie all this stuff together. And I, I mean, you know, okay, the villains of this movie we have to talk about. Of course, the villains are technically the pilgrims. But Ben, you and I know who the villain of this movie is. It's the wide-angle lens they had on the camera the entire time. <laughs> so how quickly upon starting Pilgrim, an 80-minute movie, do you have any estimate, Ben, when you started to think to yourself, Jesus Christ, why does this look so bad? Or any, anything along those lines? I, I mean, I definitely, uh, I think from the beginning and throughout the whole movie, was just like, I felt like the edges of the screen were, like, blurry for no reason. Blurry and, um, you know, contorted. Uh, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. Uh, very – because there's some scenes where it's not just a subtle wide-angle lens and you just get, you know, just in the corners you're getting that distortion and blurriness. There's some scenes where they use, like I, – I swear to God, it's like a lens that was not meant for that camera that they fucking hammered on or something. It looks so bad. <laughs> there's some scenes where, like, 40% of the screen is blurred. And you're only seeing stuff in the middle. And then the fucking camera will do like a pan. It'll like pan across the screen while in this giant fish angle, uh, fisheye lens. And it is the most disorienting thing I've ever seen. It's like, I don't, because it happens in shit like the dinner party, like before the pilgrims show up. When like the 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 stepmothers. Yeah, the the homo yeah, the homeowners association meeting. They're doing it then. And like fucking 40% of the screen is contorted and, and blurred and it's panning between characters and I legitimately was getting nauseous. And I'm also glad Ben that when I asked you, you know, when did you think this movie looked bad? You said pretty much right at the start. My first note is what is with this massive wide angle lens? <laughs> Well, it is the and, first I mean, thing that, I noticed. <laughs> there's that scene where, like, Cody's hiding in the kitchen, and the neighbors are, like, bad-mouthing Anna. Oh, God, which, yeah. That was so which weird. Which never comes into play. 
at all. But the the uh, mo- again, most of the screen was blurry. Yes, it was like, why are we seeing it this way? I thought um, the movie was gonna yeah, like I, I didn't, at the I didn't really start know what they were going for. Uh, exactly, Ben. Thank you. That's the thing. I don't know what they could possibly have been going for because one. I'm thinking, like, at the start, oh, you know, you have this this weird lens that you're using. It's blurring out all these things that are just set up for the movie or, you know, contorting the image that we're seeing that should just be exposition in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. And I'm like, is this going to be, like, a big middle-of-the-movie twist? Like, this was all a dream or, or some some fantasy to it? Never happens. What confuses me more is that for most of the movie, they are using a wide-angle lens that is completely distorting the frame or what we're seeing in the frame. But then there are actually moments where they will remove it. They will use a regular lens during some scenes. And I have no fucking clue. Because you'd think, oh, if we're making this choice to use this one type of lens for most of the movie, when we switch away from that, we're doing it for a purpose. But the wide-angle lens disappears on scenes of, like, like uh, what? When, when Cody's getting dunked under the water. It disappears, like, when she's mashing the berries and telling, like, I am grateful now. You know, and she's, like, trying to... to convince the um the pilgrims that she's on their side or something like the the lens turns into a normal lens and i don't know why and that makes me mad yeah because i'm like i'm like clearly they're doing this for a reason i hope but what's the reason i could not parse through what it could be i the other thing is they could have just fucked up and been like oh man we left the wrong lens on in the wrong scenes well we don't have budgets for reshoots fuck it (laughs) that could be the case i don't know i i I don't know what they're going for they it would have been one thing if they if they were planning on switching the lens at some point to give us some kind of dramatic effect. Yes. Um, but but instead, it just seems like they shot the whole movie out of a lens that didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, normally that's not something I would complain about. It's not something I notice all that often. It was it was so noticeable in this movie that I actually had something to say about it. So. Yep. Oh, it is egregious in this movie. Um, like I said, I think it's the real villain of the film. <laughs> um, the the other villains, though, we talked about Ethan Patience. Patience uh, played by, because she was actually pretty good, Elise Levesque. Yeah, I had to write that one down. She has a fucking neck and a half, man. She has so much neck in this movie, it was kind of crazy. But um, um, there's other pilgrims. That was something that threw me for a loop. That's something I never expected in this movie, that... It turns into basically pilgrims invading their home. Like, there's not just two pilgrims. You have the pilgrim building something. You have the pilgrim cooking something. Or There's, like, what, like 25 of them or something by the end, right? Uh, oh, yeah, there's a lot. I, I think it's closer to, like, 12 or 15. But, okay, yeah, there's sure, a lot. Sure, Yeah. That threw me for a loop. I didn't expect that. I thought it was always going to be, like, you know, those are main two fighting with the family. Uh, but the, the way that they kind of come in and... I don't know, infest the house is pretty interesting. I don't know. I thought that was a neat twist. Yeah, it was definitely kind of a surprise. And we get we get the first hint of it when uh, when Finn is murdered. It's like he sees oh. her blood, turning blood butter, and yes. then suddenly he's attacked from behind uh, ah, by yes. somebody else. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's so like, right. we get that first hint of it. And, I, and when that happened, I was like, who the fuck attacked Finn? And then later we start <laughs> to see more pilgrims coming in. And I was like, ah, okay. Yes, yes. Have you seen the movie Mother... Um, with um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, the Aronofsky movie? Uh, I have not. Okay, so Jennifer Lawrence is married to Javier Bardem and mother, who's like a famous author, and at the start of the movie, like, you know, 
people are showing up at their house. Like, I think they're having a dinner party or something. And, like, these characters slowly start to show up. But then, like, more and more, like, strangers start to show up. And it's, it's a very abstract movie. But there's a scene at the end when the house is just filled with people. And Jennifer Lawrence is freaking out. She's like, who are you? Why are you here? That type of stuff. And there's this really interesting moment where she just, like, stops in her tracks. And she looks at somebody. And she's like, what are you doing? And it cuts to a guy with a paint roller. And he's just painting the walls of the house. And he goes, I'm painting your walls. And she's just like, ah, oh, and, like, keeps moving. Why are you painting my house? Well, it's been so kind to everyone. It's the least we could do. Stop! Both of you, stop! No problem. There you are, my goddess. Come here. Please make some room for her. Thank you. Here. You've got to hear these stories. They, oh, these people. I know. They're just letting off steam. They're painting our house. Oh. <laughs> You're right. That's what I got the sense of. Like, what? Uh, Anna comes into this. The, it's like she's looking for Tate or whatever. And she's like, "What? who are you? What are you doing here? And there's a pilgrim who's like, I build shit. I'm the building pilgrim, you know? And it's just yeah, like, I, I do I'm things now. Yeah. And I, I just thought th- I think that's such a weird uncomfortable scenario like imagine having all those strangers in your house and when you ask them what you think is a reasonable question they give you the most like vacuous answer it's so it's so weird <laughs> definitely uh and I, I definitely got from from his answer the impression that they they have roles apparently in yeah. their little cult yep and he's the builder like he builds what the torture devices the stockades the, i think what's, so he, yeah he builds all the, the bad shit uh, and I think he is also the, pe- the person they beat to death. Yes, I believe so. Is Ethan the one, though, the main pilgrim? He's the one that builds the shed, though, at the start, right? That The shed is before? Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this pilgrim raised a shed in my backyard. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this movie's fucking insane. Um, a weak part of the script, or maybe, you know, since you watched it more recently, Ben, something that confused me, the friend, the mother of the of Finn, the boyfriend... Like, what is her relationship to Anna, the stepmother? Like, she was the one who shows up late, who needs to rearrange the crullers. Like, when that first happened, you know, Anna, uh, sorry, the, the other mother says something like, you know, Catherine's I'm, her name. okay, Catherine, she's like, I'm sorry I was late. I worked late last night and didn't get here till now. And the mother, Anna, the stepmother is like, you know, go rearrange the crullers. And I'm like, okay, is this like the maid? Like, is this their help? But then one of the pilgrim's patients goes to live with that family? Like, I didn't understand that dynamic at all, Ben. Did you? There is a point. Like, so whenever they first get there, she asks her if she brought some dish. Yes. Um, but, she, but she does indicate that she is on the homeowners association or whatever and that she is there for the HOA meeting. Okay. okay. Um, so that – I don't know if she's also a maid or not. But no, the, the, their relationship really wasn't clear other than that Anna felt some amount of pity for Catherine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and and they they definitely made it out as if Catherine quitting smoking was like the end of the world. <laughs> she she was having like don't get me wrong, I've quit smoking before and it's difficult. And I've started smoking again because, you know, it doesn't always stick. But I my life didn't fall apart because of it. Sure, sure. And it definitely was it definitely seemed like they were they were blaming her situation on on her smoking or or let, you know lack thereof and there was there was no dad in the picture either so i i was kind of getting the vibe that maybe she and finn had just been abandoned semi recently and and the neighbors were like trying to take care of her 
to some degree, but I really don't know. I, I couldn't, I can't say that their relationship was well fleshed out or even actually designed in the script. Sure, sure. Yeah, I was, threw me for a loop. I had no idea. Um, is there anything in there, any more explanation than I'm doing this for you that Anna says, oh, patience is going to go live with you? Like, it seems like Anna almost drops on Catherine and Finn that it's like, hey, I, I ordered or bought services from these pilgrim reenactors. One of them's now going to be in your house for the week or whatever it is. Did they explain yeah. that at all? Uh, only only barely. Like, she, she says something like, you don't need to be doing anything else for the rest of the year. Uh, almost the way you would treat somebody who had, like, a bad miscarriage. Like, okay, okay, sure. You, something bad has happened to you, and you just need to, like, relax and take it easy. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, like bringing over food after funerals, that type of stuff. But this is just right. a more extreme idea of, you know, hey, you're having a, a house guest now. <laughs> right, they're going to cook your Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, and kind of in Anna's defense, they, she did not know that they were going to be house guests. Yes, uh, she absolutely. She believed they were going to show up, I think, on Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. When they showed up several days before that. And I, I kept expecting that that we were going to find out that they were not actually the uh, people she hired. And that did not happen. Like, I expected on Thanksgiving the the real actors were going to show up and they were also going to get murdered. Oh, but, that would have been a neat little twist type of thing. But, um, but yeah, it seems like the people that we got were the people that were hired. Right, yeah. So, so she hired them. Oh, and we we've kind of left this out, but there's there's this like indication in the movie that because Cody wished that the whole stupid reenactment thing would blow up in Anna's face, that Cody actually like caused this oh, bad stuff. Oh yeah, her her wish is when she blows out the candles is something like um I want shit no, to she, crazy. They or... break, they oh break the wishbone. Wish oh well shit. Fuck me. Of course they break a wishbone. It's a Thanksgiving movie, man. <laughs> um, I think that there are candles in the next movie because that girl's birthday is also near Thanksgiving. Yes. Yes, um, definitely. But yeah, so she, they break the wishbone and she's like, I hope this blows up in her face. Yep. yep. Um, and I don't think that anything literally blows up in the stepmom's face, which is <laughs> what I would have expected. But but we do see at the end, like after Ethan is, is dead, mm -hmm. that he is holding the wishbone yes yes absolutely so, there's definitely some indication that her wish is why these reenactors went crazy and killed everybody yeah isn't, isn't there even when when things start to when the shit starts to hit the fan doesn't tate say something to cody like what did you wish for right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it is that it's very very loose but you're right it is it's it was it's so loose i forgot about it but yeah it is there that you know cody somehow caused this I don't know, that seems like an after-the-fact Blumhouse going, ooh, spooky supernatural, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if they were really trying to tell us that she caused it, and that that's actually a plot point in the movie, because it's, like you said, it's loose, it's barely there. But at the end, like, he is holding the wishbone in his hand. Yes. Which he, there's no reason he should have had. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> so, like, they definitely, I mean, there was some intent to it. Sure, sure. Did you notice, speaking of, um, I, I think it's at the end of the credits for this movie. Uh, well, the opening credits are actually pretty cool. Like, there's a bunch of black and white photographs, distorted voices, like, discussing Thanksgiving while there's some, like, creepy-esque music. I thought that was pretty pretty neat. But at the end of the opening credits, it says something, like, based on a mostly true story or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Is that, yeah. So, did you watch all the way through the credits of Pilgrim? 
I, I didn't. What was the mostly true story? I, I had forgotten about that by that point. So, yeah, you know, I, I did as well, you know. Um, I, I think it comes up in the opening credits. I feel like there's another button in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie where it says that again or something. But at the end of the credits, the last shot of the movie, so not counting, you know, the studio logos, because, of course, it has to say Blumhouse and Hulu at the very end. But after the actual credits finish, the screen fills up with, like, a photo, like what looks like a Polaroid or something, you know, like a photo from like the 80s or 90s. And it's a picture of a man with some kids, like in a kitchen of a house, but the man's eyes are censored out with a black bar, and it states the text based on a mostly true story, and that's it. Then this Blumhouse logo plays. And I'm oh. like, that's really kind of haunting. Like, of course, the based on a true story or based on a mostly true story, you know, we've seen that a bunch of times. But to finish up a movie about this home invasion stuff and then, like, show this censored picture of, like, a man with some kids and say, like, based on a mostly true story. I don't know. It's kind of dumb, but it's kind of chilling at the same time, I think. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure that it is based on a mostly true story or anything like that. Like, I have no idea. Yeah, no, neither, neither do I. I mean, the mostly true story could be, you know, the story of the pilgrims or something. <laughs> right, right. That's that's kind of the vibe I was getting, because, like, she was talking about, like, slavery this, slavery that, whatever. Uh, or yes. not slavery, uh, but, like, the genocide. Gen- yeah, genocide yeah, of, sure. of the natives. And, and so, like, Mike, I was, I was thinking that they were being a little bit tongue-in-cheek about this is a, a, a movie about pilgrims killing people, which sure. is a mostly true story. So like they, like the movie itself is, is just pilgrims killing the native Americans. It's like <laughs> the true story that they were going with, yeah. but, I, but I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I don't think we have any way to find out with how little info there, there is on these movies. Um, but Ben, uh, anything else from Pilgrim? Any other moments? I think I everything I want to talk about the uh, the camera work, the the bloodiness, the uh, the craziness of it. Any other moments or any characters or anything we missed that you want to talk about with Pilgrim? I the, okay, there is. I, I guess we can discuss this one scene where Cody is walking through Finn's house mm-hmm. because they've gone missing, and Patience has come back to her house, and uh, and she sees what looks like blood on the floor, and then walks walks through and it's an open jar of cranberry sauce <laughs> yeah and then finn's dead body falls out of the closet behind her oh god like <laughs> as soon as she walks past it type of thing you know yeah it's like it's, oh yeah it's like they were going for a jump scare but it was I, and then like where he falls it kind of looks like the, the cranberry sauce is his <laughs> blood on the ground yes. <laughs> like it's just so goofy oh yeah, um, yeah it's so goofy and also i like with how perfect the timing is it comes across as like you know a game of mousetrap or something like patients set up the cranberry sauce next to a tripwire so that when Cody would go near enough to it, it would open the closet door and the boyfriend would fall out. Like it's so, it's so con- like contrived, you know, <laughs> definitely. But at that moment I was just like, this is not a good horror movie. <laughs> uh, like I, I was, yeah. I was cause like at that point, like all right, we have some creepy pilgrims, but we haven't seen anything really menacing yet. Mm-hmm. And then they jump straight to dead stuff. It's like, what? They're not going to tease us a little bit? Be like, oh, do we really know what's going on? Nope, straight to dead things. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is not a great script. Like that was the moment <laughs> where I was like, mm, they could have done they could have done some more work on this. I'm totally it. with you. Totally with you there. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was like the last thing I, that I wanted to mention is is that moment. Okay, right on, right on. Yeah, if we think of any others, you know, we can we can come back to it that type of thing but if nothing else jumps out right now i think that brings us to flesh and blood 
not the uh, the 1980s Paul Verhoeven movie, but the 2018 Hulu Into the Dark Blumhouse movie. Oh my God! So let's let's just say this first, Ben. I found this just like I did Pilgrim. You know, like I mentioned, I googled uh, Thanksgiving horror movies, found Pilgrim, found Into the Dark, saw that this was the other Thanksgiving one. I record these movies, even though they're never going to get taken off Hulu, or if they if they do get taken off Hulu, it'll be long after I'm dead or when Hulu's destroyed. But I still record these things. Whenever I record them, I don't. That's not usually when I watch them. But whenever I do record on my computer, like just in real time, let it play, recording it, um, I'll keep an eye on it. You know, make sure nothing happens where my internet goes out or, or Hulu or Amazon gets angry at me. Um, I do have to say that when I had flesh and blood on, like, recording, I l- was looking at it out of the corner of my eye, like I said, to pay attention to it. And man, some of it looked really cool. So I ended up watching flesh and blood first. And I think you summed it up pretty well earlier on, Ben. Um, I believe you said something like, this is borderline a good movie. Was that right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and and to be completely honest, I was getting major run vibes from it. Oh yeah, okay. I I figured you would. I mean, the right from the beginning when the father is giving the the girl medicine, I'm just like, oh, are we doing this? You know, but which I was excited. Like I, when I say, oh, are we doing this? It's with an excited tone, not like an oh no. I'm okay. Like seeing a weird knockoff Blumhouse version of Run. Is is going to be pretty good still because it's a knockoff of Run, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, Run. Even if you make a movie that's half as good as Run, you still made a pretty decent movie. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So, I this is really the one, Flesh and Blood. This is the one I'm really into. I'm so glad we watched. Um, one because it's you know, like we said, a pretty good movie. I don't even think it's bordering on a good movie. I think it is a good movie. I also think that. I found out afterwards, because um, I, I must have been looking away or something. This is directed by Patrick Lussier. Patrick Lussier has been around since the 90s. He's directed Dracula 2000, uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D, and Drive Angry. I love Drive Angry. Uh, if, if Ben doesn't remember has never seen it, Drive Angry is the Nicolas Cage movie where it starts with him breaking out of hell, returning to the real world to try and kill the cult that killed his daughter. And he's being chased by death the entire movie. Who, who wants to bring him back to hell? Uh, very famously, Nicolas Cage drinks a beer out of one of his enemy's skulls near the end of the movie. And that is the, the legend is that's why Nicolas Cage signed on to the script is because it had that in it. And he's like, I've never drank, I've never drank out of one of my enemy's skulls before. I'll do this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good movie. So it, this, this movie is actually made by a competent director. And I think that it comes through in... Dermot Mulroney's performance as the father because he is so hammy, he is so over the top. We were even quoting at the start, damn it, Kimberly, now the turkey's gonna be dry. <laughs> oh, he was definitely going all in on his on his oh, lines. It's amazing. Some of his lines which were insane. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, how can you deliver this line? Right? And he is fucking <laughs> laying into it. Like, he's not just delivering it, he's fucking... Like, he paid, he paid shipping, tracking, insurance, like, that shit is getting there. <laughs> oh, yes. Dude, there is a line near the end of the movie where he wakes up from uh, being drugged by the propofol and the tea, and when Kimberly realizes that he's, like, back up on his feet, he, he looks at Kimberly and says, you didn't use enough for someone my size, but the white rose was very soothing. <laughs> and then, like, attacks her with an axe or some shit like that. And I'm like, give it to, I'm like, pump it directly into my fucking veins. This is so over the top. I love it. 
yes. It, I, I'm glad that, that your opinion of it is pretty similar to mine. It, it was it was a good fucking flick. The the thing that I found hilarious about the propofol bit, since we're already talking about that, is apparently propofol is milky. Which okay. It did not look milky in the in the syringe when he was injecting it into her, but when she poured it in his tea, it looked very milky. Yeah, and he even says something like, "Oh, this milk is turned" or something like that. Yeah, and so he, and, but he continues to drink it. He drank enough <laughs> that that it did knock him out for some amount of time. Yes, um, yes. but not until after he killed the doctor. So anyway, we probably shouldn't jump too far ahead like that. No, so so uh, the premise of this one it's it's very similar to Run, but of course there's minor differences here and there. But um, this girl Kimberly, uh, it's revealed that her mother was killed at some point. She was murdered. She is now an agoraphobe, so she can't leave the house. Uh, very famously, the thing I, I think you'll appreciate this, Ben. The the thing in in real life that taught me what an agoraphobe was um, is Monk's brother from Monk. You remember how Monk's brother oh, yeah. is an agoraphobe? Yeah. Yes. I every time it's like that's that's the thing that taught me what an agoraphobe was. You know, <laughs> um, but it starts where she can't leave the house. She's on medicine. She she can't even get off the the porch to get a package type of thing. That scene is rough. Like, I thought they did a really good job at showing her having, like, a, a panic attack. An actual good use of a wide-angle lens to show blurring in your peripheral vision, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So she's, she's all freaked out. Um, she has a therapist that comes to the house to work with her. Kimberly is clearly kind of, like, on the fence. Like, she may, she's, like, is on and off with her medication, I think. You know, she's not really putting the work in. She isn't really dealing with the, the loss of her mother in the best way. Um, the father really loves her. The, there's a scene where he, her birthday scene, where he like gives her a necklace, and it is played so like overly saccharine that it comes off. I'm like, is this gonna be like a, like an incest movie or something? Like it's really weird. Um, but then of course the the plot of the movie is nothing like that. It's more of Kimberly starts to think that her father is a murderer, and that is the exact premise of a movie called The Clove Hitch Killer, which I've never seen, but it's been on my list for a while. Um, and I probably won't check it out anytime soon because this movie did that that notion pretty damn well. But then pretty much the movie is, you know, is is my father a murderer or not? That type of thing, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's it's her doing the exploring, trying to figure out if uh... – wow, is he – is Dylan McDermott also in The Clove Hitch Killer? Dylan McDermott is the Clove Hitch Killer in that movie. Dermot Mulrooney is the father in this movie. Oh, <laughs> you are you are uh, not the first person to think that. Many reviews on Letterboxd are, are exactly what you just said. Like, like I thought this was Dylan McDermott the whole time, but it was Dermot Mulrooney. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, so that, that's she. She sees that the necklace he gave her matches that of a missing girl yes. on the news, and then she's just like I. I, this is enough to tilt to tilt me. My dad might be a murderer. Um, which yeah. honestly, like that, that was a pretty minimal um, kind of impetus for her to start thinking that. So, I'm guessing she had some other vibes going on, like hearing him slide things around in the attic at all hours of the yeah, night. Yeah, because that's really all the the big, like you said, the big moment where she starts to think ill of her father or what he's doing is is that tv scene but before that you know it's like she's being woken up because he's going into the attic and that type of thing and so it's it's not really there but I, it was enough for me because once the movie starts going with the you know the girl kimberly saying like is my father a murderer or am i crazy because i'm on paranoid medication you know that type of thing or her, her being torn and that type of stuff the movie just starts moving with that i have to say i appreciate the first 22 minutes like the first quarter of this movie is solely about her agoraphobia, like dealing with the therapist, dealing with like 
the agoraphobia right. support website, you know, that type of stuff. I, I thought it was so cool how much they, like, leaned into how messed up she is and how messed up she knows she is in that first 20 minutes of the movie. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have to agree with that. Um, but but now that we're talking about the, the paranoia and the medication, uh, that's that's the stuff that makes me say that this is a borderline good movie and not uh, just outright say it's a good movie. The gap... Well, and I can't even necessarily, like, I'm, I'm a little bit undecided about it. The dad is terrible at gaslighting his daughter. Yes, yes. Yeah, like he, manipulative he, and aggressive is not the best combination for gaslighting. <laughs> no, he, he's very clearly trying to be like, you know, your things are not what you think they are. Mm-hmm. But he comes on so strong. Yes, of, yes. Like, as soon as she does something he doesn't like, he's like, well, you're on that fucking medicine, and you're probably paranoid. And it's just like, okay, but that's not how you get someone to actually believe that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, um, th- this element from the father here and um, Sarah Paulson, the mother in Run, this is exactly similar. Like, one of the things that I noticed, which I'm sure you did too, d- did as well, is that Every single question that Kimberly has for the father, the father has an answer ready to go and a very reasonable answer. So did the mother in Run. Like every time Kira Allen started having like a question or an uncertainty about what Sarah Paulson was doing, Sarah Paulson was ready to go with an answer. And I like that idea, but I think the big difference is that Sarah Paulson was trying to be compassionate and loving. And Dermot Mulroney as the father comes across as just getting angry every time he's proposed with a question. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. He's just like, she's like, what about these kill trophies? He's like, they're your mother's. She's like, my mom didn't have any of this stuff. He's like, she stole it. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And he's doing that thing. He's like, why can't I have some things from your mother that are just for me? Why were you in the attic? And and then there's that thing where it's like, well, I, I heard you up there, Dad. I want to know what you're doing. And he goes, want to know what I'm doing? I'm renovating the fucking house, you know? <laughs> and yeah. it's like, that's a great answer to that question, but he is so aggressive with it. <laughs> well, and, you know, so that that's the thing where it's like, I don't know, is this is this bad writing? Is it actually good writing? Because this is not the thing he's good at. Like, is this a character ah. who is insane? but is not a good gaslighter. And the only way he's ever been able to keep anything under wraps is by not being caught as, as to, as opposed to being able to convince the people, the people around him that he, you know, is fine. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm, now that I'm bringing it up, actually, it kind of goes. So I definitely get the impression that he was killing before the mother died. Yeah. The mother was not his first victim and perhaps he killed the mom because she found out. That was the vibe I was getting just because um, I think the explanation at the end that the movie tries to give is that, you know, he's like, I have to kill these other women because they're going to negatively influence my daughter type of thing. Right. That is what he says. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if we're supposed to believe that's always been his motivation. But uh, if it is, then maybe he's been killing since she was little. That's um, that's what I got the the implicit sense of, and that there was some like so, like you said, there was something where like the mother found out about it or something like that, and he might have been like, "Well, I'm doing it for our daughter," and the mother goes, "Well, you're a fucking psychopath," so we killed her, you know that type of thing. Sure, and and you know now that I'm thinking about it that way, maybe maybe that thing where he was not good at gaslighting actually was good writing and not bad writing, because because he just did not succeed. And uh, mm-hmm. he didn't succeed with the wife either. And that, that reminds me of some shit he said to the girl, the girl at one point. He's like, you're just like your ma- mother, nagging until the end. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, 
like we were saying bef- uh, a few minutes ago, I mean, with how aggressive Dermot Mulroney gets as the father and how much he's, like, berating Kimberly, it it is actually uncomfortable to watch. Like, we talked about the gore in Pilgrim and stuff like that, and some of that, you know, you might be squeamish and have problems with gore, which I do sometimes, but not in that movie. This is the shit that I'm really, like, I am uncomfortable. Like, in the scene when... um. Dermot Mulrooney realizes that Kimberly is called the cops and he sits her down in the living room and he's like, we're going to get our story straight, you know, that type of thing. He just goes off on her with like total aggro gaslighting, like we've been saying. And I'm like, this is this is actually uncomfortable for me to watch. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, if I saw this in real life, I would have to step in and say something. It is so fundamentally disturbing to see a parent talk to their kid this way. And oh, I absolutely. love that shit about this movie. That's why I love Run so much. It is so uncomfortable. I, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely some of the stuff that I really enjoyed about it as well. And and one of the other scenes that kind of, you know, leading up to that to that part of the story is when he's when he drills through her door to get in to get into her room. Oh yeah. And he's like holding her on the bed, like mouth hand over her mouth, being like, "I love you, I love you. Why won't you just let me love you?" Yes, yes, that is. And, oh god, a great. And even and, the stuff because that's the thing. Another great thing I love about it, just like Run with the mother and, and Sarah Paulson and Run. There's no moment until the very end when there you actually get the bad parent saying that they're a bad parent. Like I love that through the entirety of the movie. That it's just like, you know, no, I'm doing this for you, that type of thing. And there's all these small moments where it's like, yeah, he's doing bad things and aggressive things and being very manipulative, but I, he's doing it correctly, at least. Like, I'm thinking of the scene where he drills through the lock in the door of Kimberly's room, like you mentioned. And after he, like, busts out the lock, he says something like, Kimberly, stand away from the door, honey. I'm about to break it down. And it's still just like, yeah, to him, he's probably doing this to be a good father. Whereas, you know, Kimberly's just like, oh, no, here he is. Here he is, that type of thing. If he was just like a regular old slasher, he never would have said, like, stand away from the door, honey. It's not going to be safe for five seconds or something like that. Well, so he's definitely he's definitely trying to be a protective father still, but he is absolutely doing this to cover his own ass. Oh, yes, yes. And that that was another like a, a kind of an issue I had with it is like she's on the phone with the with the 911 dispatcher when he comes in the room mm-hmm. and we don't see her hang up. And so, presumably, the 911 dispatcher heard all of that screaming. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and then the, the police, like, don't, like, they they do some due diligence. They actually go in and, and you know, he has gotten her to say that everything's okay. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like if the dispatcher had heard all that screaming, that they would not have given up that easily. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, I, that was one thing I, that I, I kind of had. It was, like, maybe a little, little bit of a... Of a I don't even want to call it a plot hole. It was just like a, a mistake. Like they they could have shown her hanging up the phone, and that mistake goes away. You sure, know? exactly, exactly. And really, that whole um, I don't I don't actually think I noticed what you were mentioning until you brought it up. But you're absolutely right. But I, I think the whole thing with the cops is well, one to do set up for later on because the cops come back. But really, I just took that whole scene as like manufactured tension. It was just like, oh, now the cops are going to be here, so you know we need him to make sure the daughter stays quiet, and how is he going to handle the cops? And it's a tense scene. It's kind of the scene you expect in this you know, type of movie, um, especially with the paranoia of the daughter getting other people involved. Like, you know, who wants that? Who doesn't want that? But I, I, I really just at the end of the day saw it as, well, of course the cops aren't going to do anything. I know there's still like 30 minutes left in this movie. I know that, you know, the, the, of course. we need to see the manipulation. So it was just that manufactured tension. But with you, what you just said about, you know, the hear, overhearing thing, yeah, there would have been more than two officers at that house if they heard that stuff on the phone. And, and like, 
I I wasn't really sold that the daughter would have covered for him at that point. Sure, sure. I like I wasn't I would they definitely did not sell me on that. And I know he does the whole thing like what's going to happen to you if I'm gone like that kind of thing and so like she's feeling a little bit of fear towards it. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as the cops are out of the picture, she's right back to investigating it. Exactly. Exactly. So like that was one of the things where it's like I don't quite buy this. And and my my wife was watching it with me and she suggested like maybe her continuing to investigate is her acknowledging that she doesn't think he's that she's entirely wrong, but she might think she's crazy. Yeah. And oh, she, okay. She, sure. And so she doesn't want him to get arrested for her being crazy, but she also is not ready to give up on it yet. And and maybe that that patches that hole, but it just it, it I was not quite convinced from like the few minutes we had leading up to it that he really got into her head enough to stop her. But then again, she's a paranoid character. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like, is it bad writing? Is it really good writing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm with you. It is, it is kind of like this movie's in this weird, like limbo zone of, um, we can, we, if we think about it one way, we're like, okay, that's really good. But if we think about the same scenes in a different way, we're like, well, that might not be that good. But, um, yeah. I'm, I know uh, kind of like what I was saying with the manufactured tension of the cops and, and really just kind of, you know, making sure we get a movie out of this, making it to 90 minutes, that type of thing. I never expected for a moment that there was going to be some bigger twist. Like, I was always on board that the father was the killer. Like, I I think we talked about that when we did Run as well, that, like, the movie does such a good job of making you or getting you on the side of the protagonist, whether it be Kira Allen uh, in Run or whether it be Kimberly in this movie. Um, I actually found a review uh, from Daniel Kurland from Slash Film. Uh, he captured my thoughts on this perfectly. There's a part of his review where he said that uh, Flesh and Blood is, quote, less a mystery and more a delaying of the inevitable. And that's what I was thinking. Like, it's inevitable. Like, the father's going to be the killer. I never thought this was going to be some, you know, searching-style twist of aliens coming out at the end or something like that. So I didn't really see this as mystery. I saw it as that paranoid thriller leading to the inevitable with some great character moments from, you know, our girl and our father that that make it a not boring experience. So I'm kind sure. of fine with that. There, I don't know. Did you think there was going to be a twist or anything? Or are you just like, I, I, of course the father has to be the killer. I, what, oh, what'd you I, think? Yeah. I definitely knew the father was the killer okay. very early on. Sure. Sure. Um, but like before anything overtly crazy had happened, I was like, this is probably the dad. The dad's <laughs> probably the killer. Yeah, exactly. In <laughs> uh, that's in, and I, and like you said, I, I mean, I, I'm on the same page as you. I didn't expect anything more than that i didn't mm-hmm. need anything more than that for the movie to still work for me yeah exactly exactly is that once you if you have you know this is really like a two character movie it's the father and the daughter of course you know yes. we have the therapist the cops but it really is them and their performances carry this enough to make it interesting that i don't think anybody who watches well sure somebody but most people who watch this aren't going to be like oh, who's the killer you know is the mother going to still be alive and she's the killer nobody's thinking no. that Everybody no. who's seen a fucking episode of Law & Order SVU knows it's the father, you know? And so, yeah. but then they're not watching it for the mystery. They're watching it for the, like, okay, how, how does the journey get us there? And it's in that paranoid thriller elements, the, the over-the-top performances, how much I feel like, I feel for Kimberly. Like, Kimberly is clearly having, like, mental issues and does not know how to deal with them, and no one in her life is helping appropriately. <laughs> yes. So I feel for both those characters. Like, Dermot Mulrooney, we were saying, they're way over the top. Diana Silvers, who plays Kimberly, she's a relatively recent actress. She's been in small parts in a few things uh, since this, before and since this. But I thought she was great. 
I totally bought her as having the panic attacks with agoraphobia, the detective work she did around the house, the, uh, the emotions with her father. I bought into all of that, and that carries the movie for sure. Aside from when I first saw her, I thought discount Kristen Stewart. Um, <laughs> sure. I, everything else, like, I think she was great in every other way. Uh, she really, like you said, she carried the, the movie with her. She, she played the agoraphobe well. Yes. I mean, and a lot of that was just kind of like getting dizzy and falling down and whatever. But she, she did it well. She sold it. So Yes, and I think the movie knows what they're doing. Um, where Run, uh, once again, everybody check out our Patreon. We have a great episode on Run. Run yeah. is bolstered so much by the fact that the lead actress, Kira Allen, is in a wheelchair in real life. You know, we talk about how that adds so much depth to that movie that someone who's actually in a wheelchair is playing somebody confined to a wheelchair. That makes that movie, like, dense. And they, they know. They don't need to do any work. They're just showing her living her life, basically. It's such a real performance. I don't think, from what I looked into, I can't find anything to confirm or deny this, but I can't find anything saying it, it could be the case. Diana Silvers is not an agoraphobe from everything I could find. So, of course, you don't get the realism in the performance of someone who's an agoraphobe, but the movie then knows to use camera work and editing and stylization of, like, a wide-angle lens to show a panic attack and show what somebody with agoraphobia would be going through. Like, the movie still knows how to show it off to the audience without over making it over the top. I, I don't think it diminishes the disease at all, as in I'm not somebody with agoraphobia. I thought it was done just as well as in Run, but from different angles. You know, it didn't have the realism depth, but they gave it the movie magic depth that made it work in a very, very similar as well way. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Um, and to some degree, it's a, a benefit of, of the disorder that while they're inside, agoraphobes are not too different from other people. Sure. They, they're, they're still anxious in, in things. Uh, and she plays jumpy well. I mean, like when the when the dad... Like, she already suspects the dad at this point, but she's holding her ice cream, and the dad, like, goes to grab it, and she, dro like, freaks out and drops it. Yeah. Uh, like, she she does that well. And actually, yeah, I, th I think she plays agoraphobe around all, all – she plays it well all around. Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, they, they, they really did know how to use the hardware to, to, to kind of hit it home. Uh, I do want to say, though, that there is something I've heard about agoraphobia, and I'm not sure how true it is. Okay. But that – Agoraphobes are afraid of being outside, but they're actually afraid of existing. And if they could not exist, they would. But since they have to be somewhere, they choose a safe place. Ah, that's okay. Their Interesting. Uh, but, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's true. I think while we're on um, talking about uh, Kimberly, something that, you know, I, I definitely don't want to gloss over. This idea that, you know, like we've already mentioned, the first quarter of the movie, like 22 minutes, is about just her agoraphobia. Um, and then we start to get this sense that, you know, oh, my father might be a killer. The necklace he gave me looks like the one from the missing girl on the TV. Um, she finds all the murder trophies and stuff. And she really she's alone at this point. You know, the father hasn't come back home yet. She's alone and she should be basting the turkey, which she isn't. Um, but um, she starts to think like, oh, is my father a murderer? And we get a fucking fantastic scene of her trying to leave the house. And it literally becomes... Which wins, my agoraphobia or my fear that my father might be a killer? And it's it's a very small scene, and what, she makes it like a few steps out of the house or something like that, but the agoraphobia wins, so she has to encounter her, or, um, you know, come to her father about what she's found, because she has to make a choice of those two things. I think this is something that Run doesn't get to do, because Run is, of course, she can't leave the house because she is 
physically incapable, um, and also they live in the middle of nowhere, that type of thing. We're here, it really is like this internal conflict of, well, which is tougher, me leaving the house or maybe not wanting to exist or whatever, you know, we, we can say about agoraphobia or dealing with my possible murderer father father. I just loved that idea. I thought that was such a great conflict to have in this movie. I, I love that we even get the scene where she's like trying to open the door and she's like, you can't stay here. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's dangerous. You can't stay here. Yeah, that was that was a great conflict. And, and you're right. Run doesn't get to do that because there's no actual problem with the daughter going outside. Whereas mm-hmm. this one's like she's so afraid of outside. But then the question is, is she more afraid of inside now? Yes, exactly. It's a great dynamic that um, this movie plays with a little bit. I mean, maybe a better movie would play with it more. Um, but I, I love that notion. Um, also, something I wanted to bring up just before we lose it, the um, the manipulativeness, the gaslighting of the father. I know we talked about how uncomfortable it made me, but geez, after the father murders the therapist, who kind of plays the role of the mailman from Run, right? A little bit? Yes. <laughs> he, he then blames the death on Kimberly. He says something like, you know, Kimberly, you didn't have to cause her to die or something like that. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely says like straight up to her, like, this is your fault. Like, yeah. she, wouldn't, she wouldn't have died if you just did what I told you. Yes. And, and uh, he is so over the top. It's like we've been saying he's so great. Have you ever, uh, I can't imagine you've seen it, Ben, but the movie Mommy Dearest, I think it's from the 80s. There's a very famous scene from that movie where a, a character finds that her daughter has, like, hung up clothes in her closet using wire hangers. Does this sound familiar at all? Uh, no. Okay, well, I will put the clip in, and I'll have to, if I, when I'm editing this, I'll pull it up and send it to you on YouTube, Ben. It's a very famous scene that the mother finds wire hangers in her daughter's closet, picks them up, and freaks out. And she says, like, no wire hangers ever, and then proceeds to beat the daughter with the wire hanger. Um, it, oh God! It's, yeah, it, this this movie, uh, Dermot Mulroney in this movie gave me hardcore mommy dearest vibes without the actual physical abuse. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Until I'm half dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old. What do I get? A daughter who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her as she cares about me. What's wire hangers doing in this closet? But, like, you could see him being angry about something as simple as a wire hanger, right? Yes. I'm curious. Do we know why there were wire hangers at all? Like, if she doesn't like wire hangers, why did they? Why were they in the house? Oh, we, oh, God. I have not seen that movie in a while. It is for narrative effect. There's probably no real reason for them to be there. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. That's a that's a bi- Mommy Dearest is like a biography, a semi biographical movie about some famous actress. Not Judy Garland, someone else. I'm, I'll put a correction in, uh, whose mother was really abusive. Um, but another, okay. another parent is bad movie that this one made me think of. You know, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Parents be bad sometimes. Um, That's right. Speaking of the connections to Run, uh, totally got when Kimberly is like going into the attic and she falls through, like her leg falls through. Uh, when she's like climbing through the walls to get out near the end, 
totally gave me the sense of run when Kira Allen is you know out of the wheelchair crawling along the roofing and stuff like that. Um, right. It's kind of shocking how similar these two movies are. Um, and Run actually came out after this movie. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Run was a year after this movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the bummer is that we the I think what I what I was going to think of as the bummer is that, you know, there's all these great big moments to Flesh and Blood, which I think, you know, I've talked about the ones I've wanted to. The father being crazy. Um, the, the daughter being paranoid, those great performances, that type of thing. But once you kind of get through it, I don't know, is there more to talk about? Because Flesh and Blood seems like I had a really great time watching it, but there's really not that much substance to it, I guess is the way to put what I'm saying. <laughs> no, there's not a ton of meat. Uh, there is the scene where, so so he, Dermot McRooney or whatever the hell his name is, <laughs> sure. um, <laughs> Uh, he locks his daughter in her room and she like climbs through the ceiling into the attic and then she goes down the side of the house where there's no insulation and it's also like two feet wide for some reason mm. um and and then he hears her like he's coming back in and he hears her and so he's just like all right i'm gonna fucking go to town and bust up this wall and tell you a bunch of really stupid stories about your past oh, and how yeah. i always found you when you played hide and seek um so like that that was some weird abuse of shit about how bad she was at hide and seek. Um, <laughs> I didn't think I about had... that that way, but you're absolutely right. He's like, I always found you because you're a noob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, like, I just had this thought was, you know, she, she climbs down and gets in the crawl space. And I'm like, he has not looked in there. He has no confirmation that she's there. If she just disappeared right now, he might think she was still in her room. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. And then, and, and then she, like, looks out and sees him, and I was like, why did you do that? Now we'll never know how sure he was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. A- absolutely. Um, that, but that's really what what's left is these minor moments. The rest of the movie, uh, we've hit all the big swaths of what this is about. It's just moments after that, right? Yeah, I think so. I, and I, I loved the, uh, so like another thing where he like cuts a hole in the floor. Um, I, I definitely had my explanation already for the person at the door. Like, oh yeah, my daughter really wanted to help under the crawl space, but she can't go outside. So I just cut this hole in the floor. <laughs> how, how did Dermot Mulrooney not improv that line? That is so good, man. <laughs> Be like uh, the, the therapist comes back. Where's uh, Where's Kimberly? He's like, well, the therapist says something like, "You look dirty" or whatever, and then yeah. she she could totally be like, "Well, where's Kimberly?" And it's like, well, you know, she needs to get under the under the crawl space. Uh, only real entrance is outside. Can't do that. <laughs> so there's just a maw in the in the living room floor. <laughs> that was perfectly square, also, which yes. is impossible to do yes. with a sawzall. But but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're right. We, we've covered the the big moments, and and there were there were a few moments like that where I just had these like explanations for things pop into my head, or sure. like these, these goofy. It's like whenever he uh, like there's another point where she was in the wall, like. I was like, just go back up to the attic. Like, while he's answering the door, just go back up to the attic and go back to your room. <laughs> yep, like, yep. Just, like, start gaslighting him. And he'll be like, you know, what were you doing down there? And she'll be like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You locked me in here. I've been in here all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 100%. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she should have gaslighted him. Uh, but but the one thing I guess we haven't talked about is, is the ending. Sure. Where where he thinks the walls are closing in, she's called the cops, and he's like, "There's only one way out of this. 
Let's cover ourselves in gasoline. <laughs> yes. Always a great image of somebody pouring gasoline on something and then another person and then themselves ready to light the match. <laughs> and and fi- okay, so that, that actually does bring up another thing. At this point, the daughter finally realizes maybe I shouldn't play all my cards at once. And she finally takes, like, no, I didn't actually call the cops. I was just fucking with yes, you. Yes, yes. A- actually whole... trying to play on his insecurity and paranoia now. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Right. It was throughout the whole rest of the movie, she was like, you're the killer. You did this. You did this. I was like, woman, you are pushing your luck. Like, if he really <laughs> is the killer, you're fucked. Sure. You have, you've left no escape route for yourself. You're just poking the bear in the bear's cave. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you have done a stupid Multiple times. <laughs> I like But that was finally the moment where she did something smart. A hundred percent. I'm with you. The ending, though. The 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 house burning down. I lo- Don't get me wrong. I love the whole thing where she's able to leave the house as it burns and does not get an anxiety attack. It's like she's free of this, you know, whole problems that she had because of her mother dying. I like that. That's fine by me. That's the end of this story. What I don't like... And another parallel of runs, because if you remember, Ben, I had some issues with the end of run. Like, the only reason I gave run four and a half stars is that tiny little detail at the end of her seeing the college banner at the hospital. I hated the extended scene of the father burning to death. That CGI sucked. That was, and it's wholly unnecessary, right? Just, Just have him fall through the attic floor into the flames cut back to Kimberly looking on and she gives this emotional response. That's all we need and we get it. But instead, they basically show him, like, his extended burning skin, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And so that was something I actually really loved him falling through the attic into her room because he fell into a locked room that he yeah. would not be able to get out of very quickly because yeah. he locked it. Play that up. Use that in the movie. Show him, like, starting to catch on fire or his clothes start to burn. He goes to the door. It's locked. He realizes the, how he's fucked up. Cut back to Kimberly, who's looking sad and triumphant. And that's it. That's all we need of the scene. But instead, they give us so much bad burnt skin CGI. It's such a weird decision. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. Um, something. So another problem I had with the kind of ending there is, like, she's climbing down the, the, the gutter pipe. And it's like, of course, this is a movie. The gutter pipe's going to break. And yes. it's gonna it's yes. gonna fall. The way that she fell and the way that she landed don't match up. Even oh, okay, more. okay. Like she, the when she's falling, she's like almost 180 degrees parallel to the to the ground. <laughs> and then when she lands, she lands on her feet. Oh, gotcha. And I was gotcha. like, nope, that would have been back first. That that would have been back first or head first, and <laughs> yes. she would have had a, a bad time. Yeah, I but hear you. I hear you. You know it, that, that's that actually, whatever. Yeah, sure, matter. sure. That reminds me of something. I what you just said triggered it in me. I think it was in Pilgrim. Isn't there a scene in Pilgrim when after the family commits a murder together, they're trying to get back into the house, and this is before the father gets the hand stabbed in the knife. They're like climbing yeah. up the trellis to get to like the, the the open bedroom window or something, and Anna, the stepmother, goes up first, and the father's like. You got this. And Anna stops and goes, no shit, I got this. Was that yeah. Pilgrim? Yeah, okay, that was Pilgrim. I've watched Pilgrim. a bunch of movies this last week. But that that's some funny shit right there. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, a harrowing, like, extreme circumstance like that? Someone's like, you got this. You can do it. And it's like, fucking yeah, I can do it. Otherwise, I die, you idiot. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely. Um, the closest I can say I've ever come to that in my real life is playing Halo. 
It's like, <laughs> they only need two kills to win. We only need two kills to win. Like, you can do this. Like, I fucking know. But no, <laughs> it's I, like, yeah, the screen I'm... is telling me the same information is telling you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but no, I, I, definitely that that was that was pretty funny. It gave me a little chuckle. Okay. Um, sure. Some good levity. I guess then, is there any other moments from uh, Flesh and Blood you wanted to mention? I think we covered everything I had. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I'm good too. Um, I did, the word levity reminded me that there's a point in in Pilgrim where Ethan says the journey was harrowing. A little levity was all that kept us sane. Oh yes, um, yes. But but no, I think I'm good. I, I think I'm good with these movies. I do want to comment on Ethan's performance or the, the guy who played Ethan. Very unsettling. Very well done. Yes, name is Peter. I believe it's Peter Giles. It's spelled with a with a. It's spelled like Giles, though G I L E S. I believe it's Giles from what I read. Um, he's been in a bunch of TV shows like Law and Order and SVU. Um, actually, found okay. that apparently in the 2020 Spider-Man animated series, he's Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. So just to tie it into the rest of this November that we have a Spider-Man connection. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with Moon Knight. So. Right on, right on. So I guess the, the before we get into our questions and stuff like that, the last thing I had uh, to kind of guide us into that is that this, of course, has been our Thanksgiving episode. Thanksgiving had nothing to do with the second movie, really, at all. It's a placeholder. Um, it had a little bit more to do with the first movie in a little better of a way. Uh, I know I, some... I, I don't even think we mentioned how it's involved in the second movie. Oh, it, it, not, at, not at all. <laughs> we Thanksgiving's the last holiday that her mom's alive. Exactly. And so that's, that's Yeah, that's, that's what they do to tie it in. But like we said at the start of this conversation, or somewhere in the, earlier in this discussion, we said it's like, take that out, replace it with Christmas, you get the same exact fucking movie, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but So my problem was not only that uh, Thanksgiving had nothing to do with the second movie, but I, I guess I should also say that when I first texted Ben or sent you a Facebook message, whatever the hell we do to talk to each other, I did send you something and I said, hey, I watched Flesh and Blood. Doesn't really work for Thanksgiving, but there's a reason we should discuss it as a tie into the Patreon, and it was because of the run connotation that it gave. So I'm glad sure. we got that in there. But neither of these movies, whether they be very loosely related to Thanksgiving or somewhat related to Thanksgiving, I got a big problem. None of them highlight yams. Am I right? Like, there's no yams that are discussed in either of these movies. We get turkeys, we get cranberry sauce, we get pumpkin pie, um, we get, I don't know, we get cannibalism, but there's no yams. Am I right, Ben? You're right that there's no yams. I'm not sure why you care. Well, it's our Thanksgiving episode. Every year we have to work in the yams, Ben. The yams! The The yams! I stopped getting high once we lost yams. I was dead in '99. He was blue calling my hands. Ain't been the same since that day. God damn. You was a prophet. You was a king. You was a visionary. You formed more than a mob. You made you more military. You always supported. Missed your funeral. I wasn't man enough to see you in the coffin, but I give you this offering and hope that you forgive me cause truthfully in my eyes you was king of the city I know you smiling down sharing back was with Biggie no lie I stopped getting high 
high once we lost yams I was dead the night he died He was blue cold in my hands Ain't been the same since that day, goddamn You was a prophet you was a king, you was a visionary, you formed more than a mob, you made you a military, you always supported, miss your funeral, I wasn't man enough to see you in the coffin, but to you I get this offering and hope that you forgive me, cause truthfully in my eyes you was king of the city, I know you smiling down, sharing the back with your biggie, rocking the Leopold, taking the tab with Jimmy, pimping with Sweet Jones, go grilling with ODB in the studio, trying to fight tears and shit, I just wish my nigga Yams was here to Hear this shit. He in the clouds, angels braiding his hair and shit. Just looking down like God. You hear this shit? I hope we make you proud. Cause we next up at the mound. And I'ma always strive and prosper until the world is ours. I hope we make you proud. Cause I'm next up at the. Uh. Either I didn't know or I forgot. No, Ben, you didn't know. <laughs> but I will also say, Ben, you are my sunshine. <laughs> but Ben, with all that being said, are you ready for our questions? I am ready. Okay. Come on. As we always do with these uh, these double features, um, we say, well, are we pairing them together or separating them? I think these are very much worth separating. They are very, very different styles of movies. Would you agree? I or? fully agree. Okay. Um, this is going to be easy, though, because I think they all lump together. Cinemodities for both. No. There's nothing odd about these. These are the definitive what I think Blumhouse movies are and what they will be. Um, it's kind of weird when we get some that are a little different. Late Night, I kind of saying yes to both. These are so goofy and wonderfully over the top that, and with how short they are, hell yeah. I want to be like, hey, you want to watch a lot of gore? Pilgrim's the movie for you. Hey, you want to be really uncomfortable with a parent-daughter like relationship? Flesh and Blood's the, the movie for you. So I think I'm going yes to both for Late Night. What do you think for our questions for these two movies, Ben? I um, I definitely thought that uh, that Flesh and Blood was a little bit odd. Um, okay. I, I think I don't know maybe just in uh, in how good it was. Um, I, I definitely think that that is an oddity for me. Probably a little less so on the uh, on the Pilgrim. The particular reason that there was gore was pretty weird but other than that it's just like a, a gore movie sure so that's that's whatever um and then for late night definitely yes on flesh and blood i don't know that i would suggest pilgrim uh, okay. so i okay. think i'm gonna go no on late night okay pilgrim i i know you're saying about pilgrim and the gore that it really only is in that last half of the movie but i think i lean towards yes because it is only 80 minutes long like you do not have to wait that much to get to the gore you know <laughs> Yeah, I, I can agree with that, but I, I just, I think, I don't know, it's it's not, I, you know, that, that moment where I was like, this is not a good horror movie, I, I think that is really the moment for me that's where it's like, eh, take it or leave it, there's so many other things that we could watch. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, I guess that brings us to snacks, then. I will, uh, I will speed, I think I'll speed round these because they're all pretty quick. One, 
blood butter, right? We're both in agreement that blood butter should be Exploder. on our menu. Okay, perfect. Uh, also, I want to think we can agree on dry turkey dinner. <laughs> damn it, Cam, it's going to be dry. Dad. See, this is why your mother and I never got you a cat. I would love. But it has to come with being screamed at. Oh, yes, of course. If somebody orders it, they go like, God damn it. Insert customer name here. Now the turkey's going to be dry or something like that. <laughs> From flesh and blood, just glue. If Tate ate glue when he was little, why can't our customers eat glue now, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I think my last snack was Kimberly's Special Brew, which is random teas mixed together with propofol. Just, you know, because you might need to knock somebody out at the end of the night. Sure, sure. <laughs> Did you have anything for snacks, Ben? Um, I mean, I don't... Do we already have cannibalism? Um, we should Ooh, probably have... Maybe? Thanksgiving-style cannibalism. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, and you can even bring your own dead body or make one while you're there. Um, or, Ooh. you know, you can just order and we'll make it for you. I like that. Other than that, I mean, I don't know, not, not a super snack-heavy movie. I mean, I guess we could give out, like, cherries that make you vomit blood. Ooh. Or some other way to like imitate vomiting blood so that you can get that experience. Um, and we should probably also have an attraction where you can uh, just spray cranberry juice out of a garden hose. Put that next to your mouth. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So I did. I just did a quick search, a, a quick control F on the spreadsheet. Cannibalism does not appear anywhere in our spreadsheet uh-huh. so far, which I'm surprised by, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that is that is weird. Uh, yeah, there we go. Cannibalism and especially Thanksgiving-themed cannibalism. Okay, right on, right on. Well, then, with all that being said, uh, this has been a discussion on two Blumhouse movies, uh, because if you liked what you heard, go on and head over to the Cinemodities Patreon, Subscribe for any amount. We have a $5 tier, $10, and even higher if you want to get even crazier, uh, where you can get more episodes of Cinemonities, uh, more Blumhouse discussions. You can also support the podcast, and if you want a higher tier, you can make requests. Ben, anything you want to say about the Patreon at the end of this uh, this glorified two-hour commercial for Blumhouse and Patreon? <laughs> And, you know, as always, uh, you know, we enjoy doing these episodes for you. We enjoy hearing your feedback. Getting on the Patreon is, is another way to contact us. Uh, obviously, you can you can send us emails through the uh, the page or the Cinemodities Gmail account. But if you send them messages to us through Patreon, there's a chance I might even read them. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not not just Rob. So sure. yeah, uh, so come check it out. Come come send us messages uh, if you have anything you want to hear us talk about that's the place to do it come make those requests and uh of course i think as always this isn't about patreon but about my life counter ah yes why why the app you know praise jesus install the app (laughs) wow what a throwback Ben. (laughs) (laughs) like three people have heard that song in in their in my life and their (laughs) lives and it's never been released otherwise so That's a, okay, that's a good poll. Even more bonus content for this bonus episode. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, that's, that's all I got. It's It's been a pleasure, Rob, as always. Yes, yes. 
Um, I think then we have to say, well, how do we end this episode? Um, there's not really music in either of these movies, other than the goofy score that we talked about in Pilgrim. But there is an Into the Dark theme, an intro that plays at the start of these movies. I figured we might throw one of those in reverse. It's short. It's the thing that ties these Blumhouse movies together. So why not? What do you think? Sounds perfect. Okay. Sounds connected. Well, then, uh, right on. The next time you hear from Ben and I, if you don't go and subscribe to the Patreon, because if you do go and subscribe, you could hear us tonight if you listen even more. Uh, but next time you'll hear us is a few days from now. We will be finishing up our Spider-Man series. Can't wait to get to that with some animated Spider-Man. Any, any other final thoughts, Ben? I also can't wait. Happy to talk about some animated Spider-Man. Right on. Right My childhood on. coming to life. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, well, then I think the last thing to say is happy Thanksgiving, Ben. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>